You are Locked On Chargers, your daily podcast on the Los Angeles Chargers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up and welcome into the Locked On Chargers podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Wade, joined as always by my co-host, David Drugmeyer, and today's episode is brought to you by Pepsi. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment that you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels, because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Before we get started, we are two riders who got our start at San Diego Sports Domination, San Diego's top sports blog, and we've been covering the Chargers for over five seasons doing our own Facebook Live show, Chargers Domination Live, which airs weekly, and now this is our third season as the host of the Locked On Chargers podcast, bringing you your team every day. All right, guys, well, we have a very special episode for you guys today, but first, thank you to all of our first-time listeners for checking us out today. You picked a good one to do that today, and a special thank you to everyone else who's checking us out again. But on today's show, I think we have the hottest name in Chargers media right now, and that is Daniel Popper, who's had some contentious moments with head coach Anthony Lynn over the past few press conferences, and he joins the show for the second and third segments to talk about that, but also talk about just where the Chargers have gone this season the things that need to be most addressed. He talks about maybe some new head coaching options and, you know, the chances we actually see some heads roll during the offseason. He also gets into what Justin Herbert and his spectacular start has looked like so far and what has impressed him most and much more. I mean, we talk a lot with Daniel Popper. It's a great interview, but we're going to start the show today with one Washington Post article talking about the Chargers having the most coveted landing spot if they are to move on from Anthony Lynn during this offseason. But let's go ahead and get into it. One Washington Post writer thinks that the Chargers job, if they move on from head coach Anthony Lynn, could be the most desirable in the NFL. This is Daniel Wade, joined by David Drogmeyer with your Locked on Chargers lead story. John Clayton, NFL reporter from the Washington Post, has come out with an article ranking the best NFL coaching opportunities that could come along after the conclusion of the 2020 season. And he was ranking every opportunity that is already available for jobs like the Atlanta Falcons or the Detroit Lions and also ones that should be available this offseason. And he included the Chargers in that, including putting the Chargers number one on the list. And it's hard to argue with it, David. And his main point here is that the Chargers have Justin Herbert. And I think when a new coach is trying to get his feet wet in the NFL or even return to that position in the league, I think one of the things you're looking for most is, is the quarterback situation good at that landing spot? And it doesn't get much better than a young quarterback like Justin Herbert on his rookie contract. It absolutely does not, Daniel. I mean, the Chargers are in a prime position to be able to add uh, other pieces around Justin Herbert to try to figure this out and try to win a championship while he is on his rookie deal where he is going to be at his most affordable. He, they can add more offensive linemen. They can add another weapon on the outside. They can get some guys and put some pl- guys in place, even on the defensive side, to help this team get closer to contention. Uh, and for any coach, like you said, that's trying to get back into things 
things, the quarterback position is the most important position in the NFL. And that's one thing that the Chargers right now seem like they have figured out, as well as having some very, very talented skill position players to go along with Justin Herbert that is going to be under contract for the next several years. you got a, a number one, clear number one wide receiver in Keenan Allen, one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. And you have Austin Eckler, just an all-purpose maniac, a guy that is very efficient running the football and one of the most dangerous pass-catching running backs in the NFL. You have uh, some great weapons around Justin Herbert. You have him on a rookie deal. There is so much talent on the offensive side for any coach to get really excited about being the next coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. And I think a lot of it has to do with windows and opportunities. And for the Chargers, it looks like they are heading into a window that they could potentially try to get a Super Bowl championship. When you look at what teams have been able to do with quarterbacks on their rookie contract, you can look at Patrick Mahomes or even a guy like Russell Wilson or Jared Goff who made it but didn't win. Those teams were able to build around a rookie on a rookie contract and be able to sign guys to fill out the rest of the roster that just wouldn't be available once somebody gets a mega deal like Mahomes or Deshaun Watson. But they have solid foundational pieces on both sides of the ball. And when you look at the defensive side of the ball, the Chargers defense has been one of the worst in the NFL this year. But at the same time, if the Chargers are cleaning house, I think you look at the talent that they do have on there, especially Joey Bosa and Derwin James, and you see that and you're like, there is something that you can build there. You have those guys locked up at least for the next few seasons, David. And although it hasn't been a good defense, it's a defense that has a lot of potential and I think one that's still an attractive spot. Well, and as John Clayton put in his article, I mean, right now... The Chargers are the 12th ranked defense yardage-wise in the NFL, which even you know yardage-wise, that's a little bit hard to believe having watched all the Chargers games this year. But the Chargers have a lot of good young players on defense, guys like Jerry Tillery, guys like Kenneth Murray, uh, guys like Drew Tranquil, who are young uh, but has a lot of talent, a lot of ability. Um, you, you know, you're really excited about what those guys are going to be. And then you also have some veterans under contract as well. Guys like you brought in like Linval Joseph, who has been a, a very good player for you, a guy that's been able to, to plug up gaps and take on double teams. And then Chris Harris Jr., who's been a little bit banged up, but when he's been out there, he has been a difference maker for you. And, you know, of course, whenever you talk about anything on the defensive side, as far as talent's concerned, I mean, the high-end talent on this team for the Chargers is spectacular. You can possibly boast that you have two of the very best players at their positions in the NFL in Joey Bosa and Derwin James, who should be coming back healthy next year. And those guys are under contract for the foreseeable future. So not only do the Chargers have a good amount of talent on the offensive side, they have a good mixture of young talent and some veterans and some high-end elite talent on the defensive side that should make both sides of the ball pretty attractive for a new coach. Yeah, and when you're looking at that, you just want a solid foundation, and you think to yourself, you know, I can make it work and fill out the rest of it myself or whoever is involved with that process. I mean, honestly, I think the offensive side of the ball, when you look at the offensive line, that's probably the biggest thing that has to change for this team and something that is going to be difficult to put together a competent offensive line with the one that they're currently putting out there, which ranks 31st or worse in both pass blocking and run blocking win rate so far this season. So I think that will be the biggest challenge, but I have no disagreement here with John Clayton. I think there are a lot of coaches, especially on the offensive side of the ball that are going to be looking for new head coaching gigs next season, trying to take the next step. 
And for the Chargers, I think you have to sell that you are the most attractive landing spot for one of these new offensive minds to land with or even a defensive mind like Robert Sala. And I do think that they are right now the most talented team that could potentially need a new head coach in 2021. But we do have two more segments to get into. We have Daniel Popper coming up with us. We're very excited about that, getting into his press conferences with Anthony Lynn and also getting his take on what Justin Herbert has been able to do well and much more coming up right after this. But first, I need to tell you guys that the best way for you to work out during the pandemic is with Echelon and they have all of the fitness equipment that you need to be able to get the workout that you want at home. They offer the next generation of connected fitness bikes, fitness mirrors, rowing machines, and their all-new Echelon Stride Smart treadmill. No matter what your favorite fitness activity, Echelon gives you a fun and challenging workout from the comfort of your home. Their world-class instructors will motivate you with thousands of daily live and on-demand studio-level classes that are always available when you need them. And that, for me, is everything because you can have all the equipment that you want at your home, but unless there's someone there that's going to push you and actually try to you know, push you past where you would normally go if there was no one there, I think that is so important. And right now, you can try the Echelon Fitness equipment at home for 30 days. All you have to do is go to echelonfit.com NFL. That's E-C-H. E-L-O-N-Fit.com slash NFL. All right, guys. Well, we did promise you a special guest this week, and he is here with us now. I know you guys are very excited to hear what Daniel Popper from The Athletic has to say today, especially with some of the press conferences, if you guys have been following along this week. And we have a ton of questions for Daniel Popper. But first, you can find him on TheAthletic.com. You can find him on Twitter at Daniel R. Popper. I don't think there's a better Chargers follow, in my opinion, as far as the beat writers go. So you're definitely going to want to go follow him in there. And if you want to check out his latest article, he just did a Q&A with fans. And he also talked about some of the press conference stuff on The Athletic. Definitely worth the subscription. So, Daniel, I really appreciate you coming on the show with us today. And I want to, we'll get to the you know press conference stuff in the last part of the show. But first, I want to talk about what everybody's talking about with the Chargers this season. And that is the biggest storyline for the Chargers this season, which is Justin Herbert turning into a borderline star as a rookie. And I know he has blown away everyone's expectations, but what has impressed you most about his historic start? Yes, there's two things for me. So when he was coming out of college, like the scouting report on him was that he, his decision-making broke down when under pressure. And, and the question was, could he operate at a high enough level and fast enough mentally in the NFL to deal with the disguises, to deal with the pressure and to, and to be successful uh, against the blitz. And he's been outstanding in that area. So the thing that's impressed me is that he's turned what, uh, what many people thought was his biggest weakness into his biggest strength. Um, and, and that's really commendable. Um, you know, I mean, it was across the board scouts thought that, uh, that that was going to be his biggest issue. And it just hasn't been, I mean, he's, he's been just tremendous. And he's had some issues, you know, when, 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 the Dolphins threw some disguises at him. He had some issues there when the, when the Bills threw some disguises at him. But, you know, a lot of that is that he's playing behind a, a very mediocre offensive line, um, and, and he's still been very successful. And what he did against the Bucks and that pressure scheme was just so impressive, um, you know, taking hits and delivering balls downfield. Um, you know, and this, is, this kind of can run in conjunction with that, but the other thing that's really impressive is just how dynamic he is in off-platform situations. Like, that throw to Keenan Allen two weeks ago – um, was just ridiculous against the Jets, where he rolled out to his left. I mean, I mean it showcased everything that he has from a physical standpoint, um, and even a mental standpoint, just his pocket presence and awareness to get out of there, the athleticism to outrun the defenders, 
the arm talent to fire it, a, you know, 85 mile per hour fastball in there. Uh, no problem. <laughs> um, and, and, and yeah, just, I mean, he, he continues to do it week after week and just make these plays with his legs, get outside the pocket. And it's almost Mahomesian in a way that he can get outside the pocket, keep his eyes downfield and just fire these absolute bullets um, and make the type of throws that very few quarterbacks in this league can make. So, so for me, it's those two things. It's, it's primarily the way that he has dealt with, with the pressure in his face and, and, and how he stayed composed and, and delivered the ball accurately uh, in, pre- in, in when the blitz is coming and when there's pressure on him. And then just, just how, electric he is in off-platform situations. He certainly has been fun to watch, but that offensive line that you talked about has not made it easy on him. I mean, they played decently to begin the season, but now it's come back down to earth. I mean, they're ranked 31st or worse in both pass block and run block win rates. How important do you think it is for the Chargers to go all out for a guy like Panay Sewell at the top of the draft? It's tough. I mean, like, at this point, it's not the type of situation that you can remedy and fix in one off season. Like when you spent eight seasons missing on offensive linemen in the draft, you can't just all of a sudden fix that in one off season. I mean, they've tried several times, whether it was going out and getting Mike Pouncey and Russell Okun or this off season, you know, trading for Trey Turner and getting Brian Belaga, but those are stop gaps. Like you need to hit on offensive linemen and they just haven't like Dan Feeney, I thought was going to be the center of the future. He was playing well early in the season, but it's kind of regressed a little bit. Forrest Lamp is finally on the field, and, he, and he's just he's just a guy at this point. He's just he's, he's borderline serviceable, and so are those two guys part of the future? I don't know. Uh, Trey Turner hasn't been able to stay on the field. They they do this thing of signing another over thirty uh, offensive lineman, and he and Brian Bulaga, and he hasn't been able to stay on the field. Um, you know, they've been waiting for Sam Heavy and his left tackle feet to develop into the left tackle of the future, but I'm not seeing it right now. Like, there's not a piece on this offensive line that I'm excited about. So, so what do you do? I mean, you, you, do you trade up? I mean, the, right now, the, the Chargers are not going to jump the Bengals. Uh, the Bengals don't have a starting quarterback. I, mean, I don't even know who's starting right. for them. Is it Ryan Finley? Yeah, so, like, they're not yeah. going to get – and the Bengals, the Bengals are a lock to, to take Sewell from, from, you know, what I'm hearing. And, and just, like, obviously they need to protect Burrow at all costs. So, like, just from the outside looking in, like, that's the guy they're going to take. So is it worth giving up two sec- future seconds with all these other holes to go up and get Sewell? Um, it's really an unfortunate situation because last year you had, you know, Mackay Becton, you had Jedrick Wills, you had Tristan Wurst, and, you know, so they could have gone and gotten a tackle there. But this year you don't have the same type of talent uh, in the tackle crop. It's Sewell, and then I know Daniel Jeremiah is ranked Deshaun Slater at a Northwestern higher than Sewell. I will see what other, what other sort of talent evaluators say as we get closer to the draft, so maybe he's a guy that's there. But I don't think it's the type of situation where you, you get a left tackle and all of a sudden – you know, your offensive line is in great shape. They just have issues there because they don't have depth. They don't have talent. Um, you know, their only hope really is that Trey Pipkins takes this huge jump from year two to year three when he can get some time on the practice field. Um, but, I mean, it's you guys have been charged stands a long time. This is this is what it's been. You know, they just have, under Tom Telesco, they have not put together uh, even an above average offensive line. It's just like 2017, you could probably say they were there. I mean, I know PFF didn't love them. Um, I should say 2018, um, you know, when they, when they had that run to the divisional round of the playoffs and, you know, Pouncey was playing well and Russell Okun was playing well. But, I mean, they just they just haven't grown and developed, drafted, grown and developed offensive linemen. And, um, you know, so in my opinion, the better option is to, is to not give up capital that they need to fill other holes to sit where they're at. And, and, you know, maybe if it's the fifth overall pick, then, you know, you got some really high-level corners available. You're going to need that. Maybe you maybe you find a way to trade out of that spot to a quarterback needy team, and you can and you can add extra picks maybe in the second round. 
uh, to fill other holes, whether it's edge rusher, you're looking obviously at offensive tackle, you can look at center, you can look at guard. Um, so I don't know if it's really worth it to, to do what you're saying and, and, you know, give up a, a King's ransom and move up against Sewell. Cause I don't think all of a sudden you're, you're a good offensive line, even with Sewell at left tackle. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest issue for the Chargers. It's not a one off season fix for them and going and adding other teams, veteran linemen hasn't really worked out great for them in the past, but looking forward to next off season, obviously you have guys like Forrest Lamp and Dan Feeney. You're going to have to make decisions on because it's hard to say you should bring back anybody from the worst offensive line in the NFL, but you still need obviously bodies out the position, but there's still guys like, you know, Michael Davis, Hunter Henry, Ray Sean Jenkins and others headed into unrestricted free agency. So obviously there was a list going into the season as who would be the top priority for this team going into that. But now that we're 11 games in, who do you think is at the top of that list as the guy they must get re-signed? Uh, they got to They got to get Hunter Henry re-signed. Like that is an absolute must because they don't have anybody behind him at tight end. So if they if they lose Hunter Henry to free agency, I know that they could tag him again. That would be a pretty high price tag. Yeah. But if they don't bring Hunter Henry back, like what do they have behind him? Like Virgil Green is an aging player who's a good blocker. He flashed some receiving skills this year, but just hasn't been able to stay on the field. And I don't know how much time he has left in the league, to be honest. Um, and Donald Parham, like he's an interesting weapon on the outside, but obviously his blocking is where it needs to be. I thought you could see a jump from Steven Anderson this year based off what I saw in training camp, but he can't even get on the field right now and has been a disaster in special teams. So, like, they need to re-sign Hunter Henry because otherwise they're going to be scrambling in the draft to find a replacement. Um, you know, moving down the list, I think, Ray, you know, I know fans don't love Rayshon Jenkins, but, I, like, what he's done this season has actually been pretty impressive. Like, his position is free safety, and all of a sudden, you know, after an abbreviated off season, a couple of weeks before the season, he's asked to change positions, and and he's played pretty well um, in that strong safety spot, close to the line of scrimmage. It's not really a natural position for him. I know he's he's a pretty solid tackler and a physical player and brings energy, um, but he's really better where he can you know play that single high spot and 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 you know use his ball skills and and range to sort of track down balls and 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 be that stopper back there. Um, you know, I, him and Derwin together, I haven't been able to see much of it just because ever since I joined the beat, Derwin's been injured. Um, right. But if, with, both, with both of them healthy, like that's a really good safety pairing. Um, and Adderley so hasn't like really I, grabbed onto it either. Right, right. Like where does Adderley fit into all this? That's another thing. It's like right now it's looking like a waste of second round pick because he just, he just has not been good this season. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, it's, I think it's still too early to call him a bust just because rookie season was a complete wash. He just like wasn't on the field and then had the, you know, the hamstring injury and then it was on IR. And so you can really sort of scrap that season. This is really his rookie year, but you know, you'd expect a second round pick out there when he gets his opportunity and to play with just a little more intensity to be a little more sound tackling. Um, you know, we, we all heard how much of a ball hawk he was. I haven't seen much of that this season. Um, so you, you really need race on there because they don't have, they don't really have, you know, a real viable replacement free safety. And, and, you know, if Gus Bradley's staying around, like that's in a really important position in the scheme. Like if you don't have a, a sure tackler and, and, a, and a reliable guy back there at free safety, you're going to see a ton of, of balls over the top and explosive plays, which is what we're seeing this season. Um, so I feel like those two guys are probably at the top of the list. I mean, Feeney and, and Lamp, it's, it's tough. I mean, you guys made a great point. Like, okay, you let those guys walk. Like who's, who's starting at center? Scott Quisenberry, 
Like who's starting at left guard? And Cole Toner? Like I don't like honestly, I don't even know the answer to those questions. So like I think they're gonna end up having to re-sign both those guys just because they don't have enough bodies. And then what I would do, and I said this in my QA today, like like draft a couple interior linemen and yeah. just get some talent in there and get some bodies in there and get some competition and see what you can get. I mean that's really the, that that's really do because you know they've missed on so many offensive linemen over the years. It's like they just you don't have the depth there because you haven't acquired it via the draft. Yeah, definitely. You have not. I mean, another guy, you know, here at the show that we thought that was probably going to deserve some money in the offseason is Michael Davis. I, I think we've oh, seen yeah. some great strides from Michael Davis this year. I mean, we all knew he had the size and the speed and the you know physical attributes, but we were always wondering if he was able to turn his head around and he's starting <laughs> to be able to do that. And now he's picking the ball oh, off. Yeah. So he actually yeah, likes yeah, to tackle right. now, too, which is weird. <laughs> right. That's the thing. That's the thing with him. It's like the way that Tom Slusker really views corners, you know, Casey Gator was kind of the outlier, but like usually they're looking for guys over six feet that can run. You know, it's Brandon right. Faison, it's Michael Davis, it's guys like that. And so they loved, I mean, they loved Davis's measurables. They loved his athleticism. And it's really a credit to Ron Miles, the defensive backs coach, for, for, for teaching him techniques and fundamentals and getting him to a point where he can play at the level that he's playing at. I mean, he's clearly been their best corner this season. I don't even think that's a question. Um, and so, you know, he made it onto, uh, you know, Shil Kapadia or, or one of our NFL writers had him on the top 50 free agents. Like if they, they, they should re-sign him and he's going to command a decent amount of money uh, just by the way he's playing this season. Um, you know, I still see some lapses from him. There, there are times where the tackling Definitely. still is a little bit inconsistent. There are some plays where he's, he's you know, off in coverage and, and, and just seems to, to lose the focus and intensity at times. Um, but he, I mean, he is a different player this season and, and he looks like a guy that can be sort of a mainstay on the outside. Now, can he be your number one corner? I don't know. I think he's a really good number two if he keeps playing at this level, um, which is why I think, you know, you're sitting there at five and you got all these really good cornerback options. Like maybe, maybe you, you, you pull the trigger and, and add something to that cornerback group, whether it's Patrick Sertain or or Caleb Farley or, or any of these, you know, high level corners that are going to be available early in that draft. But yeah, definitely. I agree with you guys hundred percent. That's a guy, Michael Davis, they have to resign, especially with the way Casey has played this season here. You know, I know some fans have been a little bit worried about Herbert the last couple of games. Cause he's struggled a little bit. The last two of his two out of his last three games. Do you think that Herbert's regressing after an unsustainable start? Or do you think this due more to the offensive line and the play calling? Yeah, he played some talented defenses, you know? Yeah. I mean, the, the Dolphins have a really – they have one of the best pass defenses in the league. I mean, that cornerback combo is legit um, oh. in Howard and Jones. And, um, and and then, you know, go back and watch on tape. Like, they were throwing some crazy stuff at Justin. Like, you know, the the amoeba defenses they were throwing in third down. Like, I was watching it, and I was like, I don't even – how do you even, like, guess who's coming on one play to the next? Um, I mean, what – the, ex- the expectation was that Justin Herbert was going to play at an MVP level for the whole season. It was just unrealistic. Like, he's a rookie. Yeah. And, and when, when a good – you know, Sean McDermott is a hell of a coach. Like, he, he's a really good defensive coach. And, like, you know, well, you know, the good defensive coaches lick their lips for playing a rookie because you can go out there and you can throw some disguises at them. You know, I, going back to watching, you know, the Bills, uh, you know, at times were dropping defensive ends in the coverage, bringing linebackers. And so – um, I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not concerned with, I wouldn't call it regression. I think he just plays some more talented defenses Some some good coaches have thrown some stuff at him that he hasn't seen before. And, and, and I'll go back to what I said before, like, you know, if he's playing with a, an experienced center and a good offensive line, then they can alleviate a lot of that stuff. They can diagnose stuff, but 
that's not happening right now with the players they have out there on this offensive line. It's just they, they're too inexperienced and um, and they're not talented enough. And and that's having an impact on Justin Herbert. But I, I have I have no concerns about you know what you know if you could call it a little bit of a lull here. I mean I was expecting him to come back to earth at some point. Um, but what he's shown this season proved to me that I don't think he's on the cusp of being a star. I think he's a star, and I think he will eventually be a superstar in this league. There's really no doubt in my mind. And that's exactly what we wanted you to say. But going back to that Dolphins yeah. game, I mean, I mean, like when you actually hear a player like Keenan Allen say, we were confused. Like normally the, yeah. the go-to answer is, you know what? We knew what they were going to do and we didn't execute. Not after that game. They were just plain confused. But we have a lot more to get into with Daniel Popper, including the latest couple of press conferences with Anthony Lynn getting a little bit contentious and much more coming up right after this. But before we get back in with Daniel Popper talking about everything that's gone down in that press conference with Anthony Lynn, I need to tell you guys about the best protein bar on the planet. And of course, I'm talking about Built Bar. For me, I've always told you guys that taste is everything for me, especially when you're talking about a protein bar. So if you get one that tastes bad or you get one that has kind of a chalky taste to it, I'm just not going to eat it no matter how healthy it is. You're not going to have to worry about that with Built Bar. They have a ton of amazing flavors like coconut almond, banana bread, peanut butter, peanut butter brownie, and all the bars are 100% covered in chocolate and soft and easy to chew. They taste great and they're great for you. Built Bar is great for the health conscious guy. It's great for the keto diet. And right now we have a special offer for our listeners. If you guys go to builtbar.com and use the promo code locked on, you can get 20% off your next order. Use promo code locked on all caps one word for 20% off at builtbar.com. All right, we're back here with Daniel Popper. And once again, you can find him on Twitter at Daniel R. Popper. You can get his writing at theathletic.com. You can check out his latest article as a Q&A that he did yesterday, answering a bunch of your guys' questions and also some more from these press conferences with Anthony Lennon. This is what I think a lot of people are talking about. I've had several people reach out to me and just tell me how excited they are to kind of hear your side of the story on this part because... The press conferences have been straight up contentious, I mean, over the last couple of days with Anthony Lynn, but we don't have to get into too much of, you know, your guys' relationships or anything like that, but I just kind of want to know what you were thinking when Anthony Lynn on Monday comes out into his press conference and spends the first five minutes of the press conference answering questions that you had asked him on Sunday. I mean, as a reporter, I was interested to hear explanations. Um, you know, like, I'm trying to figure out what his thought process was for those situations. Like, I'm not going into that press conference, like, trying to expose him or anything like that. Like, I saw a bunch of what I viewed as management errors, and I wanted to hear his reasoning for making those decisions. Because um, I feel like it's important when you view his future with this team. Like, is he capable of being a high-level game manager and time manager? And, and the answers to those questions, um, you know, were going to tell me a lot about that. Um, so when he came out, I, I mean, I wasn't like, you know, I, in shock. I wasn't like, oh, he's attacking me. I was genuinely curious because he clearly had gone back and, and looked at the situations that I was referring to. And so I, I wanted to hear his, his explanations for what he said. Um, and then ultimately I listened to him and I had more questions. So I asked more questions specifically about that, uh, that uh, you know, sequence late in the first half about like why he let 17 seconds tick off the clock before punting. Um, so, I, I mean, it's the job. Like I, like, I was talking to you guys before we started recording. Like, I came up in New York City working for the New York Daily News, and, like, this is how everyone there does the job. Like, I know they call it, like, a, a tough media market, but, I mean, it's true. Like, people, the journalists there are, you know, holding coaches, GMs, everyone, players accountable uh, to the fan base. And that's the way I view the job, and that's how I'm going to go about it. Um, 
you know, I, I don't necessarily, you know, think that, um, you know, my relationship with Anthony Lynn is like the most important thing to me in the world. The most important thing to me in the world is making sure that these guys are being held accountable for you, the fans. And that's how I view the job. And, and so, you know, when I go into a press conference, I'm asking the questions that I, that I think need to be answered um, by the people getting paid a lot of money to do this job. Well, I mean, I for one, and I can speak to, uh, for Daniel as well, we appreciate you asking those type of questions because in this media market, we have not seen reporters come at coaches like that. It just does not happen. So it is definitely a breath of fresh air there. But obviously, in, in Anthony Lynn's mind, a lot of the moves he made were based on his philosophies and the rest were communication, according to him. But have you ever seen a more poorly managed game than the Bills game on Sunday? I mean, it was it was rough all around. Um, you know, Anthony Lynn had sort of had explanations for everything outside of that run call at the end of the game. Um, and that was really – but to me, that was like the icing on the cake, you know. Like, the game was pretty much over at that point. Like, it's an inexcusable error. But, like, I'm looking at that end of the first half situation, and, and I, I couldn't get over the fact that – so you get the ball with – two minutes and 10 seconds left in all three of your timeouts. You really have a fourth timeout because you have the two minute warning and you come out of there with zero points and you view it as an, as a, a success. Like Anthony said, like, well, we didn't get hurt by it. So I don't know why you're sort of hammering this point home. Well, right. you need to score. You need to score points in that situation. Like it's a perfect representation. You're down by 11, sir. <laughs> right. But it's a perfect representation of how he coaches, which is not to lose as opposed to coaching to win. Like, you, your offense is struggling. They can't move the ball. You can't run the ball. Justin is obviously being, uh, you know, disrupted a little bit by the pressures and disguises. You have six points in the first half, and here's a really good opportunity to go get points, and you're more worried about not giving the ball to the Bills. That is not coaching to win, and I understand that, you, that, that Anthony might think he doesn't have the horses with a rookie quarterback who obviously can't do as much line of scrimmage as, say, Phillip Rivers could, and, and a defense that's injured, and and an offensive line that's injured and missing players. And I understand that, uh, but you're three and seven. Like, what do you have to lose? Right. And so I, I keep thinking about this. And this is something I was thinking about last night that I haven't really written about or talked about yet. But like, maybe the reason the Chargers play so many one-score games is because of the way Anthony Lynn coaches and makes decisions. Like, he, he coaches games to sort of manufacture these, these close endings. Like, he wants to keep his team in games. And you can look at it and say, well, yeah, He's keeping his teams in a lot of close games, but that same philosophy is the reason that they're not pulling them out. Um, and so, you know, it, in my opinion, like it just had, you just need to have an, a mindset that you're playing to win. And, and like, I think that end of the first half, uh, you know, time manager was just a perfect indication of, you know, his philosophy and why ultimately I don't think it can translate into consistent success in the NFL. Well, and the thing is, when you're worried about giving momentum to the team that already has all the momentum, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Like, you can't be worried about that. You have to be worried about getting the momentum on your side rather than trying not to let it get away. I mean, there's a lot of really questionable things there, but it seems like he has a lot of preconceived notions just about how things should be done. You know, no timeouts outside of one minute. You know, maybe if you have the lead, you run the ball more, all of those things. It just seems like he's old school in that way, and it seems like the game's passing him by in that sense. But obviously, at this point, I mean, it would take a miracle for Anthony Lynn to keep his job, in my opinion. But on your Q&A you did with the fans for The Athletic, you can get all of the names that Daniel Popper has come up with potential replacements for Anthony Lynn. But 
most of the guys on your list were offensive-minded coaches as opposed to, you know, someone like Robert Sala out of San Francisco. So I just was wondering how much of that has to do with finding someone who can maximize Herbert's potential. That's really what it's about for me. Like, and, and I, you know, I think Robert Sala is going to be a really good head coach. But my issue with that would be like, if you're moving on from this staff, you probably want to shift away from the Gus Bradley cover three scheme. Like it's clear at this point that, that, Anthony wants to be more aggressive on defense, and that's just not built into Gus Bradley's scheme and philosophy. And so they're kind of at odds in that area. Um, and they've tried to be a little more aggressive. But Rob Asala runs the, the same scheme. I mean, he's a little more aggressive within it, but it's still the, the Seahawks Legion of Boom cover three scheme. Like, that's what it is. That's, that's the tree he's from. So I, I, I struggle with the idea of, like, moving on from, from Gus Bradley and Anthony Lynn and that staff, and then bringing in somebody who runs the same defense. Like, it would make a lot of sense to me to try and bring in a guy, uh, defensively at least, as your D coordinator, who just runs a little more of an aggressive scheme just to see if it works here with these with this personnel, you know. Uh, you know, like a scheme like Todd Bowles runs. You know, a scheme like Robert, like uh, Flores, Brian Flores runs in, in Miami, you know. Well, um, they run a lot of cover like, three, too, but they still blitz a lot. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, Brian yeah, Flores, yeah. that so, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so – and, and uh, you know, they, they mix in a lot of man, though. And, like, the, the Chargers just don't – I mean, they've been playing more man this season, but, um, you know, not as much as Miami is. And, and, I mean, like, the Dolphins are blitzing at, you know, the highest rate of anyone in football. Or they're, they're, they're in the top five, you know. And, and I think – I haven't checked recently, but they, they might be up towards the top. And then they're bringing cover zero more than anyone in the league. Like, so it's just it's, – it's a really a mentality thing. Um, so – but like you're saying, like, there is room. Like, they could be more aggressive. Uh, you know, if Robert Sala came in, but that's the only reason why I don't, I don't know if that makes a ton of sense in my mind, at least. But for me, it's like, okay, you have Justin Herbert, he's a star. You have him on a rookie deal. Here's your window to win. Who's going to put Justin Herbert in the best position to win a championship before his rookie deal is over. And to me, it's got to be an offensive coach. It's got to be someone who's going to come in here and, and, and continue to groom him and, and, and develop him into an elite starter in this league. And, and they're going to be a lot of guys available. And that's sort of the key here. They, they're they're going to be able to pick from a number of really celebrated and respected offensive coaches, whether it's Eric Bieniemy with the Chiefs, whether it's Arthur Smith with the Titans, whether it's Brian Dayball with the Bills. Um, you can keep going down the list, Callum Moore, Joe Brady. Those guys are a little more inexperienced. So the three I named initially are the guys that I would be targeting if, if they do decide to move on from Anthony. Sure thing. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's – when you got a rookie quarterback who's ascending like Justin Herbert, you got to make a decision about, in terms of your head coach, about putting this kid in the best position to win a Super Bowl in the next, really, three seasons before he hits that fifth-year option on his rookie deal. Because that's where you're going to have the most flexibility. That's when you're going to be able to build the best roster around him. Who is the guy that can do that? And to me, it's, it's going to be, if they do move on from Anthony Lynn, it'll be you know, one of those three guys I mentioned who have, have really established themselves as, as forward-thinking uh, and creative offensive minds. Well, I mean, coming into this season, this is kind of like the second straight disastrous season in a row for the Chargers. I mean, who do you think is really going to be on the hot seat the most? Do you think it's Tom Teleska? Do you think it's Anthony Lynn? Do you think it's going to be Gus Bradley? Who do you think goes first? I mean, it just seems like there has to be some kind of change at the end of this season. Yeah, I could, I could really see it going in any of three directions at this point, and I think these final five games are going to have a huge impact on sort of what decision ends up being made. I could see him keeping – keeping Telesco and Lynn um, and, and perhaps moving on from Gus Bradley and trying to change up the defensive team. Um, I could see him 
moving on from Lynn and keeping Kolesko and trying to get a new head coach in here, um, I could see them cleaning house and starting all over. Um, you know, I know, I know that's not like as specific as you guys want, but like at this point, I really think everything's on the table. Um, you know, if Anthony Lynn goes out and wins these final five games in a row, that changes everything, obviously. Right. And, 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 and ownership can, can make the argument that like, Hey, he's got this thing going in the right direction. We had a bunch of injuries again. If we can just get one healthy season, then I'm, we're sure Anthony's the guy because he's a great communicator and because he's a great motivator and because um, he's a great leader and does all these things that you need to do as a head coach. Um, and, 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 and we'll be able to overcome whatever time management and game management issues he has. Um, no, if they lose the last five games, obviously that changes everything too. So like, you know, you need to see where this, where this thing is trending towards the end of the season. And, and I could really see it going in any direction, but you're three and eight, you're five and 11 last year. Like frankly, everyone should be on the hot seat right now. You have to analyze everything because it's just not good enough right now. I don't want to hear about the injuries because everyone deals with injuries. Um, There are deeper problems here from a coaching perspective, from a scheme perspective, from a roster building perspective. Like this isn't as easy as shocking up to okay we're injured no it's it's deeper than that and there are problems all over the organization so like they they got to look at it and analyze it and, and make a decision um, you know ultimately based on how the season finishes up yeah and I think that's uh, kind of a lot of people's fear is that you know maybe Anthony Lane does win a few down the stretch and that kind of justifies them bringing him back but I mean it's hard to look at anybody and say is this person safe? I mean, maybe Shane Steichen because of how, you know, well-regarded he is and obviously, you know, how much of the credit they give to him or Pep Hamilton for Justin Herbert's development. But, I mean, it's hard to say after a season like this that anybody could be completely safe at this point. But Daniel Popper from The Athletic, thank you so much for coming on the show with us. Again, you guys can follow him on Twitter at Daniel R. Popper, and you can also check out all of his latest writing at theathletic.com. I mean, always putting out great content, answering questions for you guys. I've jumped in there even a few times, but just thanks again, man, for coming on the show. Um, I can't wait for you to continue uh, to keep holding these coaches uh, accountable so we can get those answers that we're always looking for. You got it, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, well, I definitely have to send another special thank you to Daniel Popper from The Athletic, spending so much time with us today, getting into a lot of things that we had big questions about, and I think that there's nobody that is as LinkedIn as Daniel Popper as far as media reporters go. But that is going to wrap things up for today's show. We'll be back with you guys tomorrow for Crossover Thursday. We're going to be talking with Mike DeBate from the Locked On Patriots podcast to talk about a couple of underperforming teams and the matchup this weekend. But until then, make sure to follow us on Twitter at LockedOnLAC and to like the Facebook page Locked On Chargers, as well as checking out our live show Chargers Domination Live which you can find weekly on Facebook. And also, if you don't already, make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts from. You can find the Locked On Chargers podcast there, and it's always the fastest and easiest way to get the show. But if you guys want to get on the next voicemail show, the number is 323-524-7924. You guys can keep calling in. I don't know if we'll get to any this week, but we try to get every Chargers voicemail played on the show. And we'll be back with you guys tomorrow with Crossover Thursday with the Locked On Patriots. Until then, take it easy and go Bolts.